And this verse really captures what we want to say at the very beginning and have been trying to say on this subject. It's a very simple verse, but it is a very profound verse. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And we emphasized to you in the previous message on this subject of the church covenant about the beauty of that term, one accord, and how the imagery comes from like an orchestra of many individuals with many instruments and different notes, and yet all in one harmony as, as, as if it is one voice. And that is certainly what 1 Corinthians 12 sets forth and many other passages concerning the individual parts that each of us have in the Lord's church. There are no big parts, no small parts. They're all necessary parts, as Paul described. You have some very small parts in your body, but are vitally important. And so it is with the church. The Bible also speaks to us in this study of not only the beauty of being of one accord in the church, but of the blessings that come when we are in one accord and striving for that unity. This all comes about, both the beauty and the blessing, because of the covenanting together of God's people in Christ in church capacity. So that's what we're talking about, and that's what church, our church covenant manifests. It's not something apart from the Bible. It is based on the teachings of the Bible concerning the Lord's church and individual members. And it reminds me of the song that we sing from time to time, The Tie That Binds. And that tie is Christ, and therefore it is passed on to His church for whom He died in that respect. Now, I want you to think and keep in the back of your mind as we set forth in the last message on this subject about what it means to be covenanted together. You have to be covenanted together to be of one accord. And I'll say again, in case somebody sees or hears this and they didn't hear the previous message, a church does not have to have a church covenant to be a church. But a church does have to be covenanted together to be a church. And that covenanting together in Christ is very special and very unique. Especially when we look around and look at all of the infinite number of covenanting togethers that there is and has been. People can covenant together on little things or big things for a small period of time or a long period of time. It can really be binding or it can really be loose. Remember a covenant or covenanting is an agreement of some sort but in the true definition of the word it is a binding agreement between two or more persons or parties, either or composing of things agreeing to do or not to do or both. So, again, it can be anything. When 
People protest. They're covenanted together. People make war. They're covenanted together. People steal things. They're covenanted together. So it covers a vast array of different types of agreements. Some of them are entities that become very rich and a lot of money goes through and a lot of members are part of for whatever their goals are. While others, again, we could agree on something today and forget about it tomorrow. So it has a vast spectrum when we're talking about a covenanting together. It can be based on a hobby, casual interest, uh, different causes, money, like say war, peace, whatever. So there's no end to the reasons that people may covenant together and the degrees of covenanting together. We say all that to say this, that the majority of those things are just superficial. When this life is over, they're not going to mount to a hill of beans. A lot of them don't mount to a hill of beans now and never will mount to a hill of beans because their causes or the thing that binds them is unbiblical. Evil binds people together <laughs> in that respect. But what we're talking about, when we're talking about being covenanted in Christ, and I'll never apologize for saying this because it doesn't need an apology, there is no covenanting together that will ever supersede that which we have and enjoy in being covenanted together in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And when we do that, according to the New Testament pattern, we do that as a church body. So it don't matter what you may be a member of, have been a member of, or will become a member of, you're not going to be a member of anything that supersedes the importance of the Lord's church. Because for a very simple reasons, I could give you many, but number one, there's nobody that supersedes the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our Lord and Master. And we are not bound by superficial things. If this church is bound or any church is bound in the name of Christ, but the things that bind us are superficial, then we might as well pack up and go home. We're not going to mount to anything. What we're talking about is a spiritual tie and bind. Not denominating ourselves to be Christians, and therefore we covenant together. That's too broad, too general. We're covenanted together because of being born again and indwelt by the Holy Spirit and walking solely by the Word of God, the teachings of our Lord, keeping His commandments. That supersedes everything else. Take that to heart. That's true. Not because I said it, but because the Bible teaches. If you don't believe that, or if you're meditating on that, think about all the things that are going to pass away and what's going to remain. There used to be an old saying, a very good one, only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what we have and is done for Christ will last. Well, this bond that we have here in this life, it's going on into eternity. And it's not going to quit then. 
These other things we're members and a part of, they're all going to stop. When you die, you're going to cease to be a part of whatever you were a part of. But if you're in the kingdom of God, guess what? You're going right on to bigger and better things. So, remember that the church covenant is based upon things that bind us together, not apart from the Word of God, but from the Word of God. In fact, let's look at that first paragraph because many of the things, that's where we're going to begin eventually in our exposition. It says, we are having, and again, I'll, I'll say the third person, we, because, but you keep the singular I, okay? Let's keep our focus there. Since I'm preaching, I'll use that. Having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God, angels and this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. And you see the word covenant showing up there in the last line. Five paragraphs in this covenant, the church, the word covenant shows up in the last paragraph one more time, the last line, bottom left of the church covenant. So there's that binding together. And there's all kinds of things mentioned even in that first paragraph that we have in common. We've been born again, we have the indwelling of the Spirit, we believe in the Trinity, and all of those things there are the common things and they're not the worldly things. They're not the superficial things. They're not the feeling things. They are the spiritual things that every believer has in Christ. So again, I say and I emphasize, nothing goes deeper than the spiritual bond in Christ. There are many religions, many faiths, and many gods but this is the only one that really matters. If it's not centered around the God of the Bible, it is false, it is superficial. It will amount to nothing. And even, let me put it to you, because I know it's probably on your mind, as it is all of us in the news today, the jihadists are covenanted together. They have a very strong bond, don't they? in what their goals are and their purposes is and what they will do to achieve those things. But realize this, it's just for the here and now. And it's evil based. It's not biblical based. There's nothing spiritual about it except it's a false religion. So again, what we have in our redemption in Christ is superseded by nothing whatsoever. Now, I say this because this is something that a lot of people struggle with, a lot of Christians struggle with. I think one of the main reasons they struggle with it and can't rightly divide this and get it is because they've never been taught it. There's a cost to being a Christian. And the Lord made that clear. He said, if I'm not first and your bond's not with me before it's, you're bonded with anybody else, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Jesus made that explicitly clear didn't he? And sadly, a lot of times, it's hard for people to see that this spiritual bond is greater than the fleshly bond. And I'll read you those scriptures. I won't read it again. You know, who did Jesus say his mother and brother and sisters was? Those who hear and do the Word of God. Spiritual in that respect. Okay, well, 
Let's begin again here and think of something. Two things I want to speak to you today, and one is very elementary again. We've kind of hinted at it before. But again, the church is an ecclesia, called out assembly of born-again, baptized believers, covenanted together to execute the Great Commission, follow Christ, right? So it is an ecclesia. Well, you can't have an assembly if it doesn't assemble. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a local body. And you don't have to have no more than two or three to be a body in Christ. Jesus, uh, Paul told the church at Corinth, you are the body of Christ. They didn't need anything else, anywhere else, or anybody else outside of that to be the body of Christ. And so the body of Christ, just like your body, is a composite of parts. And so a church assembles, gathers together, comes together as we have here today because again of the things that bind us together as stated in the Bible, manifest in the covenant. I want to read you a few scriptures just to emphasize that point. I don't mean to bore you. It'll be a little repetitious to begin with, but just to ingrain this thought in your mind. If we all stay at home and have a telecast, we're really not being a church. We're disassembled. We're not assembled. And I've warned you and told you, I believe this is what it's coming to. If the Lord don't come, I believe that's the way church is going to be. But again, that's depriving yourself, and the devil would love to have it so. Oh, it is so convenient. Oh, it is so... No, it's not. It's not better. This is why those who really stand for church truth, when they talk to you on the radio, they say, uh, don't just watch us on Sunday. Don't stay at home and watch us. You need to be in church. Because a church assembles. Assembles. Jesus said, we're two or three are gathered together. And he knew the internet was coming. Gathered together, okay? It's a precious thought. They were in one accord, gathered together in one place. In Luke chapter 24, verse 33, after the Lord's resurrection, this is after the Emmaus Road encounter by the two disciples, they, those two rose up in the same hour, returned to Jerusalem, found the eleven, what? Gathered together. And them that were with them. Well, who is that? That's the Lord's church. What are they doing? They're gathered together. So this is a common phrase we see particularly in the book of Acts and in the New Testament. When you read about a church, the word church won't even be there. But where God's people are gathered together in that sense... Most of these recurrences refer to a church meeting. Acts chapter 12 and verse 12 says this, And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, and many, where many were gathered together praying. This is when Peter got out of prison, when he was waiting literally to be executed. So again, gathering together is what we read about. And a lot of things happen after they pray. Chapter 14, verse 27 says here, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. That's Paul and Barnabas after they returned from their first 
missionary journey. They rehearsed it where and to whom? The church. Did they go and do it to individuals? No, the church gathered together. They had things in common that bound them together. And then all the way over to the 20th chapter and verse 7 and 8. And again, this is just commonplace as we read it in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. 20 and 7 says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Here again, the Lord's day. Not the seventh day, but the first day after the Lord's resurrection is the time when the Lord's church assembles for worship. Verse 8, And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. So it is a gathering together, a coming together. And Paul said probably more about this in his individual letters to the church at Corinth than anybody. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 4 and begin there. While you're turning there, I'll add, there's a very good reason when Paul, why Paul would say so many important things about a gathering together, coming together in unity and one accord to the church at Corinth, and that's because they were more divided than any church we know of in the New Testament. They needed to hear it more than anybody else in the New Testament that Paul dealt with as far as churches, obviously. So... We have the bulk of that information to the two letters to the church at Corinth. First, first uh, Corinthians chapter 5 verse 4. He says there concerning the person who needs to be disciplined. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there again, Paul says, I'm with you in spirit. Spirit, they're just referring to the fact I'm not bodily present, but I am spiritually present, invisibly, not visibly, but with you. How could he be with them? By the things they had in common spiritually. And you notice he says, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who did Christ give power to? The church. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth, he says. I give unto you the keys of the kingdom. Go ye in all the world, preach God. So Christ empowered the church. And there is power when God's people assemble and Christ fulfills his promise to be in our presence. You should come to church expecting the Lord to be here. Amen. Now that's not all. You should expect the devil to be here too because he, he was on the Lord's heels everywhere the Lord went. He's been on the Lord's people, the church, everywhere they have went into the world to hinder bruising the heel of not only Christ but of God's people antagonizing in that respect. But again, I, I'm going to be honest with you. If I didn't believe the Lord was here, I wouldn't be here. I don't care if you came or not. I didn't come here to see you primarily. And you better not have come here to see or hear me primarily. We should come first and foremost because the Lord has promised to be here when we assemble together. It's the same way to going to heaven. I'm looking forward to going to heaven, not to see mom and dad and everybody else I know up there. But the Lord should take the priority. And I say that as compassionately as I know how. 
Don't come here to this assembly with any other expectation than the Lord's present and being blessed of Him. Secondly, it is to fellowship, exhort, and encourage one another. Okay? I remember many, many years ago, and I don't know how true it was. It's been a long time ago. And a survey was taken by one of the popular reputed people that do polls and surveys. And they said back then, and I never I remember it because I was so shocked by it, even then, when when America was more quote unquote Christian and a little more and more moral than we are now in 20 years ago. And they said of the poll asked people why they went to church, 70% said it was for social reasons. If I thought we were coming here for social reasons, I wouldn't show up. I'm social with eyes with you any day of the week. If that's what I want or my needs are, but this is not the place to socialize as our primary focus. That's way down the list. This is a sacred thing. And as I often say, there's nothing more important you're going to do or no more important place you're going to go to any week as a Christian than the Lord's assembly on the Lord's day. So that is captured there in that respect. They were gathered together. The 11th chapter has several verses in it. We can get this out of the way pretty quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 17. It says, Now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better but for the worse. He's rebuking them for their abuse of the Lord's Supper. In order to take the Lord's Supper, they had to come together. Verse 18, For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. And he said that at the very beginning of this first letter. Then down to verse 20, When you come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, very similar to our text, coming together in one place at a designated time. Down the last two verses of the 11th chapter, verse 33 and 34, Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, to take the Lord's Supper, tarry for one another. If any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. The rest will I set in order when I come. And then finally over in the 14th chapter, verse 23 and verse 26, says, If therefore the whole church be come together, into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers will they not say ye are mad verse 26 how is it then brethren when you come together every one of you hath a psalm hath a doctrine hath a tongue hath a revelation hath an interpretation let all things be done unto edifying so very obviously when we read of the Lord's church just like our text the church comes together now the church covenant manifest why we come together. What are these things that bind us together? And they are many. And this is what we want to cover. The coming together is because of, and I'm going to use a word we don't use very much, but it is nevertheless a word, sameness. Sameness. I like that word because it seems richer and deeper than having things in common. When we talk about having things in common, well, we can talk from anything about being human beings to what? Anything. Everything. But sameness is much more intimate, isn't it? Uh, when there are twins, I got granddaughters, they're twins. There is a sameness with them in several ways 
that's not with the other siblings in the family, right? I mean, you know. Sameness. So think of that. We have a lot of sameness as the Lord's people. And I'll say this. It's the best sameness you can have is to have the same things with God's people. And the glory and beauty of that is, you know, it's not of us. It's God that did all that. It's God that made us the same as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's God that makes you the same as the person sitting next to you or in the chair or whatever around. It's God that makes us the same like with our visitors who were here last week. God does that miracle. And that's why foreigners or strangers or whatever can come together and immediately there is a sameness there. You don't have to talk about it. You don't have to give a quiz. You don't have to give it two hours to see if it's there. You're going to know pretty quick if there's a sameness in Christ. And this is the teaching of the New Testament. This sameness. It's very simple. Turn to me. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I wanted to just quote this one verse, but there's more to it around it, so we're going to develop it a little more here and let the Scripture speak. But... It's very simple. You've heard it. Ephesians 4, 5 says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Well, that's the sameness we're talking about, right? If we're going to be church members, if we're going to be one of another, if we're going to be members in the body of Christ, we have to agree on those three things. We, those three things must bind us or nothing will bind us of any account. One Lord... One faith, one baptism. Does the Bible teach that? It does. There's only one Lord, one Savior, one Savior of sinners, one sacrifice for sin, one high priest. There's only one faith in that Lord that saves. That's saving faith. And there's only one real baptism, and that's the water baptism that's taught in the New Testament. All right, but let's read the verses around it. Look at uh, Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation which ye are called. And again, put that personal. I, if I'm, a, if I'm a child of God, then I'm to walk where he walked. You're to walk where he walked. And guess what? We're going to find ourselves walking together, aren't we? With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. There again, those are things that bind us. And they bind us because, guess what? Those are fruits of the Spirit. And guess what? If you've got the Spirit, those fruits are going to be there in some degree. And guess what? If I've got the Spirit, those fruits are going to be there in some degree. And guess what? Those things are just going to mesh together. Because you got it and I got it. And God gave it endeavoring to keep the unity, notice, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There again, do you see that? Don't just read words there. What do those words mean? What does it mean, the unity of the Spirit? You got the Spirit, I got the Spirit. Guess what? It's one Spirit. Right? So it unites us. And how does it do that? In the bond, there again, bond, binding what? Of peace. Not turmoil, not strife, not schisms, 
a bond of peace. People talk about peace. Peace, 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 peace. Peace is a good thing. But the only real peace that can be achieved and that will last is that which the Prince of Peace gives. And if you've been born again, you've got it. The Spirit is a manifestation of it. There is one body, one Spirit. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling. Do you notice the peculiarity of this? There are lots of faiths. There are lots of baptisms. There are lots of gods. But there's only one that really binds, that really gives peace, that really saves, that will really last, that will go with you in death and on to eternity. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us, got it? Okay, here's the personal. Unto every one of us is given grace. Guess what kind of grace that is? Grace that saves, grace that unites according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So here again, these things that it's speaking about right here are manifest in our covenant as we read to you that first paragraph. So let's kind of put it down where the rubber meets the road. What are we talking about? Sameness. As God's people, we come and we serve in this body, in this church, with the same purpose. To worship, glorify, obey God, right? Same motive, isn't it? My motive is your motive. Okay? My desire is your desire. We have the same desires. We have the same faith. Because guess what? It came from the same God. We have the same Spirit because there's only one Holy Spirit. We have the same love. And that love is the love of Christ. He loved us. Therefore, we love Him. How can we not love one another? That's what John says. In fact, it's a manifestation of His love and of our salvation. That we love Him because He first loved us and therefore it's not hard at all to love God's people. It's an easy thing. Do you have hope today? What is that hope? Where does it come from? Guess what? If you're born again child of God, i got the same hope you got. It's the hope of Christ. The hope that Christ gives. Same Spirit dwelling in you? Dwells in me. Same Bible in your lap, same Bible here. I don't have a different set of instructions you do. You don't have a different one than they do. You see, it all of this binds us together. I read to you the scripture last week, the last time, the last message. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to point to it again. Paul says here, speaking on this, Philippians 2, 2, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. If there's a verse of Scripture in the Bible, other than our text, that would be equal to our text on sameness, this is it. Four things there. Like-minded. That's sameness, isn't it? If you're thinking like I'm thinking, we're thinking together, like-minded, and that's of God, then again, that's beyond flesh and blood. It's beyond things that bind on this earth. It's of God. Do you get that? Do you see that? It's wrought by the Spirit of God. There's nothing greater. Nothing greater. Like-minded. 
having the same love. What love are we talking about? We're talking about God's love. We're talking about God's love for His people. We're talking about our love to God and our love for one another, as John says. Here it is again, being of one accord. I defined that for you in the last message. It's a different word than in our text. It's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. And literally we could define it as soulmate. Soulmate. Again, we're not joined on the superficial and the external. We're joined and bonded together on the deepest part of our being. And then he says again, of one mind. And this is not the first time he said this to Philippians. Back up about five verses to the 27th verse of the first chapter. Let your conversation, which means your behavior, your manner of life, the way you live, the way you act, the way you think, the way you work, let it be as becometh the gospel of Christ. In other words, let it exemplify. Fruit. Whether I come and see you or else be absent, that I may hear of your affairs, that you, look at this, stand fast in one spirit. There again, purpose, motive, desire, attitude, love, hope, faith, everything. Because it's the Holy Spirit. With one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Here again, I mentioned to you teamwork, right? Teams, sports teams. What do they have to do? They strive together, either to stop the other team defensively or to score offensively. But they're all striving for the same thing. What? Put points on the board, keep the other team from putting points on the board. So what do you do? You stand fast, I stand fast, and guess what? We're on the same team. We're doing the same thing. We're doing it in harmony with one another. And as the scripture says, a threefold cord is not easily broken. When we're standing together and striving together. The idea here again is military almost to me, not a team. It supersedes that. That you're willing to sacrifice whatever in order to strive together as one unit. So Paul mentioned this to them. That's not the last time either. Look over at the third chapter of Philippians, verse 15 and 16. He says, Let us therefore as many be perfect, and that means mature, be thus minded. And that goes back to things that have already been said. And if anything shall be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. And the rule is the rules of Scripture. Well, I think we ought to do this. Well, what does Scripture say? Well, I think we ought to do the other. Well, what does the Scripture say? If we're trying to do what I think or do what you think, we got a mess. What are we bound by? What the Bible says. How should we proceed on this matter according to the teaching of the New Testament? Do you believe the New Testament? You believe the teaching of Jesus? I do too. Let's go see what it says. And then what? We can all do it. Opinions have no place. Uh, a board of deacons has no place on deciding what the church is going to do, change. I mean, look at this mess we got going on today with so many issues and so many quote-unquote churches. The answer is not in committees. Amen. The answer is not in letting the culture of the world dictate what the church is supposed to do. You know where the answer lies? Same place it's always been, right here. Every answer the church needs is right here. Well, should we do this? Well, what does the Bible say? Well, should we allow that? Uh, well, what does the Bible say? 
it's nauseating to see the flabbergasting mess that so many are involved in. And it's in every denomination. When all you got to do is find a chapter and verse. And then it's up to you, a church, to either decide we're going to do it according to the Bible or we're going to take matters in our own hands and hope we don't offend anybody and adopt to what the culture says. Hogwash. The Bible has the answers. What does it say? What did it say there? What did we read? Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Peter also said that. Let put on, have the mind of Christ. Paul wasn't just have his own hobby horse about this one mind, one accord thing. It's in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. I'll read it. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And notice it said arm yourself. So it's not an easy thing. You know, it takes effort to have the mind the Christ, mind of Christ. Alright, going back to 2 Corinthians before we wrap this up. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. <clears throat> 4.13, I'm sorry. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe, therefore have I spoken, we also believe, and therefore speak. Same spirit of faith. Again, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Holy Spirit. There's where the unity lies. Chapter 5, verse 5. Now he that hath wrought us for the, and here's our sameness, self same thing is God. And what is that sameness? That, that basic bottom line sameness. We have Christ as Savior, but how is Christ in you? How are you in Christ? Here it is. Who hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. And the Bible makes it clear, if you have not the Spirit of God, you're none of His. If you have not the Holy Spirit, you're none of His. But as surely as you are, his, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Self-same. I love that. That's that sameness that we are talking about. Hop over to First uh, Corinthians, or rather, or go back, rather to First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. But all these worketh that one and the self-same Spirit delivereth unto every man as he will. And this again, you know, all kinds of people are saying all kinds of things about being led to the Spirit. And it's about 40 different directions. Guess what? The Spirit of truth only has one way. If you say you're led to the Spirit something, I say I'm led to the Spirit, and we're not in harmony with one another, one of us is wrong. And our attitude should be, well, he's wrong. He needs to get on board with what I'm telling him. No, it ought to be like the disciples at the table. Is it me that could be wrong here? The Spirit of God leads one way. Which way? Guess what? We could both be wrong. But am I wrong? Should always be the first thing we consider. So here again. Self-same spirit. Self-same. The same. Not another. The same. Back up to verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
Differences of administrations, same Lord. Diversities of operation, but the same God. You get that sameness? And Paul had to just keep running this to the Corinthians because they were so scattered and divided. They needed it. Sometimes so do we. One final scripture. 2 Corinthians on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18. And that verse reads, I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? And notice this. Walk we not in the same spirit? Walk we not in the same steps? Now, two different preachers. Paul, obviously the primary, prominent, more dominant preacher. But he sent Titus, what humanly we might call a lesser, a pupil of Paul and what have you. But he said, weren't we the same? Didn't you see the same thing in him you saw in me? Did you not hear the same thing from him that you heard in me? And this is why, again, I never stand amazed and I always enjoy it when we have people come from sister churches that adhere to the Word of God as we do. Oh, there'll be trivial things we're always all going to disagree with. You know, that's because of us. But on the main body of the teachings of Christ, people can come from other places. Hi, I'm John. Hi, I'm Susie. Well, I'm Arthur and I'm Brenda. And guess what? You just click just like that. Because again, Paul had been there, but he sent Titus. And he said, didn't we walk the same walk? Didn't we walk in the same spirit? Weren't we not walking in the same steps? And I've got to say this because it comes to my mind. I remember as a little boy following my dad. I followed him in the woods. I followed him around the house. I followed him a lot of places. And not all the time, but a lot of times, you know, especially in the woods, though, I had to stay behind him. You always want to get up beside him. No, 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 no. you got to be back there. You stay right behind me. You walk where I walk. Okay. So being bored and a kid and everything else, I'd try to step in his steps. His steps were further apart than my little legs would step. But that's what I tried to do. And how many songs and how many metaphors and things are there about walking in the steps of the Savior? We don't want our foot to be the left of his or the right of his or behind his or much less ahead of his. We want our foot to be where his went, right? I mean, the Scripture teaches that. Follow Christ. How are you going to follow him? Find out where his footprints are and put yours in the same place. And here again, if I do that, you do that, what do we got? One accord. Sameness. Unity. Let's go to Acts 2 and we'll wrap this up. And we're going to be, of course our text was Acts 2 and 1, but let's look at the very end of this chapter after 3,000 souls were added on the miracle of what happened in Pentecost and the preaching of Peter and the others there that day. And let's begin with verse 44. All that believed were together and had all things common. Okay. You know, in one sense, communism comes from that verse. <laughs> you know, you, you take it that way if you want to and, and justify communism. I've heard that. And different governments and things do that. You know, you just got to have everything in common. That's socialism. Everybody on the same level. No, you know, that's garbage. What does it simply mean? All that believed together had all things in common. Do you think they really had all things in common? 
Do you think all the men were the same height, same weight, dressed the same, looked the same, beards the same? You think all the women, they didn't have all things in common. It's not talking about the superficial stuff, folks. They were the same people outwardly they'd always been. But what they had was the tie that binds spiritually. And nobody had any needs physically. Nobody was hungry. Nobody was unclothed. Because everybody was already expressing brotherly love and able to meet the needs of each other. They didn't look at another, well, he's rich, I can't talk to him. Well, she's beautiful, I can't talk to her. No, they, had, they were on the same level. Where? In Christ. Sold their possessions, goods, parted them to all men as everybody had need. Continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread house to house, to eat their meat with gladness, singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. There's that sameness again. Were they all Jews? No. Were they all Gentiles? No. Were they all from the same place? No. Did they all speak the same language? No. They lived in about 16 different places, if I remember correctly, from being gathered together at Jerusalem in the first part of this chapter. But they were together, it says. They were, there was a togetherness. They were together. You know, you can be together in different ways. And I'll just quickly say this by way of exposition here. You can be together in one place, like our text. They were all with one accord in one place in that respect. You can be together at the same time. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1, Peter and John went up together in the temple at the hour of prayer, the night there. They were together at the same time. Or you can be together in one thing, a common belief, a common faith, a common hope, a common Redeemer, common Holy Spirit, all the things that we have common, that sameness that we've been talking about. And literally, you know what that means? We're in chapter 2. Turn to the fourth chapter. Fourth chapter of Acts and verse 23. If anything I've said hadn't made sense, well, hopefully this will put it together for you. Acts chapter 4. And uh, let me find it here, see if I can find it. Uh, and I'm not finding it. thought it was right there. I wrote it down wrong probably. Don't remember where it is. Uh, the scripture speaks, literally says, they were of one heart and one soul. 33? 32? Yeah, that's it. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Folks, we're not ever going to have all things common as far as the material things of the world, but that stuff don't matter. What's important is we have these spiritual things in common, and that's the things of the heart and things of the soul. The things of the flesh come and go and change day by day and are going to perish when we perish. But the things that we have here that are in Christ and spiritual, again, 
are going to just usher us on into glory and get better when that happens. This is sameness. This is what covenanting together is. What a blessing. What a responsibility. What a privilege. What an honor to be bound together in this Christ. In, the, in these things. In Christ. In His church. The greatest institution on earth. The place that God has promised to meet His people. The place where God's people are edified and sanctified. Where God faithfully shows up all the time. Final word, if you're lost today, I hope you will be pricked in your heart by what you're missing out on. As we leave this place, may God's people be edified by what God has done and is doing for us in and through His church. May we take these things seriously as the covenant manifests. May they make us stronger and may our binding and covenanting together be stronger to the glory of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless this to your hearing.